0: I don't think we're going to hear better music than that until we get to heaven. That was beautiful. Thank you. Oh, hope in the coming of the Lord. It's such a joy to be back here in the seminary, the chapel, with you. I feel like I have gone on a journey onto the mission in the mission field to the to the General Conference to work there, and I've come home from the mission field to be here with you here again at Andrews in the seminary. In so many ways, this is the front line of the Lord's work, because it is you who are going to be the spiritual ministers and leaders guiding in the discipleship of this church. It's a high calling, isn't it? It's an awesome and wonderful thing that God has done in His call to us. None of us deserve it. But we are so grateful that He loves us so much that He has called us. So it's a privilege to be with you. I want to spend a little time, the brief time we have this morning, just talking with you about about Ellen White and her experience with Jesus. Why am I doing this? I, I find that with her so far away in time, She passed away in 1915. And people reading her writings some and reading them in different ways, we sometimes forget how passionate she was about Jesus and how centered she was on Jesus in her experience. And I want to just say that personally, I have been blessed by just reading what she has to say about Jesus. And so I want us to just kind of dwell in that sense and listen to some of the things she says, hear a little bit of the story about how God worked in her life. But it is directly connected to the Scripture reading that we just had, which thank you, Judy May, for reading so so nicely. I've missed you. She was, you know, the administrative assistant for the Center for Adventist Research for quite a long time. And it's just now moving on to other important things. But so good to see you again. That, That text, behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called what? Just stop and say it with me. What is it? The sons and, of course, what? The daughters of God. Children of God. I think that probably more than any other concept about God, this moved Ellen White. In the last interview of her life uh, with her assistant, one of her secretaries, as she was talking and he was asking her questions, she began to talk about Jesus and what Jesus meant to her. And she began to cry. And we have in the transcript, she she said this to him, I find tears running down my cheeks when I think of what the Lord is to His, here's the word, don't miss it, children, when I contemplate His goodness, His mercy, and His tender compassion. You know, God has no grandchildren, does He? God only has sons and daughters. And I am so grateful for that example. When you go back to Ellen White's early life and her her young years, she was raised in a religious home, but she did not have a, a clear sense of being a child of God. God was something scary. God was something dangerous. God was someone who sent you to hell if you didn't do right. God was someone that you just really didn't know what to do with. And hellfire was a terrifying reality, eternal hellfire. And so her young years were challenged. I've reflect, been reflecting on some of her sermons. You know, there's two volumes of her sermons that have been published. And it's worth going back and reading some of her sermons. If you want some homiletical help and ideas, read her sermons. It's pretty powerful. Uh, just, just. Take that as a hint, it's worth doing. She was in Australia in 1894, and as she was talking, she was always very personable, and she would tell about her experience sometimes as she was was speaking. And she said on this occasion, she says, I remember I was so fearful in my childhood, when I was about 11 years old, that I should not live through the night, And while my twin sister would be sleeping by my side, I would be upon the floor in prayer, and it was winter. And oh, how I did plead with God to save my soul, how I tried to get something like faith. But I did not have an intelligent knowledge of faith as we have now. I wanted to know how to believe, but God seemed so great, so wonderful, so high, so lifted up. And the train of His glory filled the temple to my mind, to my knowledge that I could not see His graciousness and His compassion and His tenderness and His goodness and His love. She says, I could only discern an angry God. Oh, I did not know Him then. I did not know Him then. I did not know Jesus Christ then. And there I did plead with God with much of the night, night after night, night after night for fear for they said that I was liable to bleed out at the lungs at any time and, when my, and then my life would go out and I thought no one knows when that will be and I kept pleading with God and pleading with Him and when He did reveal Himself to me, oh, I never, never can forget it. Well, you know, it starts raising questions in your mind. What's this bleeding out in the lungs stuff, right? What? <laughs> Well, you know, we know the story. Maybe you know the story. Hopefully you've taken classes or you've known it from before that Ellen White had an accident when she was, or an injury when she was nine. And it debilitated her through her whole younger years. And she seemed to heal up, but she developed a chronic lung condition that the doctors diagnosed as tuberculosis. And I was reflecting as I was coming in this morning on the fact that we've had this terrible COVID plague for the last year and a half or more. And it's just impacted our lives so terribly and so dramatically. But you think of the 19th century and the other centuries, tuberculosis was, I'll say it because it's true, it was worse than COVID. But there was no solution, there was no vaccine, and they didn't understand the germ theory. And so the doctors diagnosed her as having tuberculosis, and she was coughing blood. And if you know anything about tuberculosis, it develops pockets in the lungs, and they get large enough, and sometimes you'll have an instant hemorrhage, and you'll suddenly die. And they knew about this. And so here she has this condition, and she doesn't have the assurance of salvation. I wish I had time today to tell you the whole story of her conversion. It's powerful. And it's one of my favorite stories. But I want to maybe go to the the core part, the last part of her conversion process, which really spans a period of nearly seven years, from about the age of nine until she's in her teens. And she came to a point where she was so low, she just didn't know what to do. I believe she actually had chronic depression. You know, life and situation-induced depression. And during this time, she had two dreams. These were not prophetic dreams. These were personal dreams that she had for God to help her. God does do this. We don't want to confuse personal help from God in this way with prophetic special revelation, which is a divine process that god makes a person his messenger on his behalf and speaks directly through them or from them through them to other people but this is before she had her first vision and the two dreams are so dramatic the first dream was a nightmare and it almost accentuated everything that was horrible about her fears and her anxieties i'm not certain i'm going to say god gave her this one i don't know what to say i'm not even going to try to figure it out but it's what happened She saw a platform with a central pillar and a bleeding lamb tied to the platform. And who is the bleeding lamb? This is not hard to figure out, right? Who? It's Jesus. And people were stepping onto the platform and going up to the lamb and confessing their sins and looking happy. She stepped onto the platform, but she held back because she was so unworthy and it was so, how could she do that? How could she go before Jesus? Go before the Lamb. And while she is holding back, there's a trumpet blast and a bright light, and all of those happy people that had gone to the Lamb and confessed their sins disappeared. And she woke up from that dream, and she says that she awoke in an agony of mind. She could hardly convince herself that it was a dream. She said she felt that her doom was fixed and that the Spirit of the Lord had left her never to return. You know, there comes times in our experience when we hit the lowest place. Have you been there? It seems that we always spend our time struggling to keep things together. It's the only way we can survive. And it's a natural thing. We want to keep things together. But you know, as it relates to God, we can't keep things together, ourself. We've turned faith sometimes into our endeavor with some varying dimension of God's involvement. But when you reach a point where you have nothing left, no resources, no answers, no help, no hope without God, then's the mo- then is the moment when faith happens because faith is looking away when there, are, there is no help and there are no answers. And so very quickly, God gave her, I believe, this beautiful dream that is incredible and was an anchor of her experience. A beautiful being came to her and said, would you like to see Jesus? She says, I'd love to see Jesus. You know, there's something about being totally desperate and not having any resources that makes you bolder almost. Isn't it right? When you just can't, because you're not strong enough, then you're just afraid. But when you don't have anything else, then you can respond. And the being said, would you like to see Jesus? Oh, I'd like to see Jesus. So he took her up the stairs. She left her things outside. She went into the room, and there is Jesus. And let me use her words here. And maybe you've heard this before, and if you have, just bask in it. If you haven't heard it, be blessed by it. She said, there was no mistaking that beautiful countenance. Imagine coming into a room, and there's Jesus, and you see him. Wouldn't you like to have a dream like that? I'd love to have a dream like that. I haven't had one like that. Not a dream. I've imagined it. (laughs) I've thought it, but oh, to have that. She said, there was no masking that, beauti- mistaking that beautiful countenance. That expression of benevolence and majesty could belong to no other. As his gaze rested upon me, I knew at once that he was acquainted with every circumstance of my life and all my inner thoughts and feelings. You know, the looks we have with each other are not the same as the looks that Jesus has with us because there is a level of intimacy there that's beyond even our understanding. There is no privacy with Jesus. He knows. He knows everything. But you know, the beautiful thing is he's loving and courteous too, isn't he? And the most amazing thing happened to her. She says, I tried to shield myself from his gaze. You know, seeing him looking at her, knowing all of that, she felt naked to the soul, you know. She tried to hide herself from her, his gaze, she said, feeling unable to endure his searching eyes. But then something happened. She says, He drew near with a smile and laying his hand upon my head said, Fear not. The sound of his sweet voice thrilled my heart with happiness it had never before experienced. I was too joyful to utter a word, but overcome with emotion, I sank prostrate at his feet. How could he do that? He knows. And yet he smiles at me and he walks to me, puts his hand on my head and says, Don't be afraid. Just overwhelming. And this led her to talk to her mother. She was such a shy person. She didn't share with anyone what was going on inside. You know, sometimes introversion can be a painful experience. And we sometimes are trapped in it, those that are introverted. And she talked to her mother, and her mother says, let me have you talk to Elder Stockman. Levi Stockman was a minister. Methodist minister had become an Adventist minister, and she talked to him, and she went to him, and she dumped it all on him. She told him her whole struggles, her sorrows, her, her griefs, her health issues. You can picture her coughing, still even their blood. And this man of God dies before her by decades, because before 1844, he himself would did die of tuberculosis. And he himself is coughing. So they're identifying together, and they're, they're seeming same injury. And she finished. I don't know how long it took her to wind down and dump it all there. But when she finally looked up, Stockman was looking at her, and there were tears in his eyes. And he said, Ellen, you're only a child. Yours is the most singular experience for one of your tender age. Jesus must be preparing you for some special work. The more trials we have, the more struggles we have when we connect with Jesus, the more powerful our work for him can be. Some feel seminary is a trial. (laughs) But you know, it's a small trial compared to the other trials of life, isn't it? But each one of those things that's hard and seems too hard, Jesus will use. You can be so grateful to Him for that. Well, He did something else for her, He changed her view of, of God the Father. I don't know what he said to her. I wish we could have had a recorder or something in there to catch that little interchange. You know, some of the most powerful things that happen in our life are in the most away on the side places. Isn't that right? And she describes what he did for her. She says, my views of the father, capital F, were changed. I now looked upon him as a kind and tender parent rather than a stern tyrant compelling men and women, to blind obedience. My heart went out toward him in deep and fervent love. Obedience to his will seemed a joy. It was a pleasure to be in his service. Instead of an angry God, she had a loving father. Now, I know we don't always have proper earthly loving fathers. What a tragedy Satan has done to destroy this but we do all have a loving father. Do you know your loving father? You know, it changed her. She had her first vision in December of 1844, and it was Jesus at the center of that vision because it's Jesus is leading her and the other believers to the New Jerusalem. And as long as their eyes are on Him, everything is good. If they lose sight of Jesus, it all goes bad. And when they would get discouraged, he'd raise his arm and encourage them. Now, we don't have time to talk about that vision and the other visions. There's so much to talk about, but Ellen White saw Jesus in vision on many, many occasions. I wrote recently an article in the Adventist world by the title of my talk today, I Saw the Lovely Jesus, and I put there some of the examples of her Recollections of Jesus that she saw in vision, now prophetic vision, not just the personal dream that she had. And she says, I have often seen the lovely Jesus, that he is a person. And she would describe things, particularly it was his eyes, the sound of his voice that impacted her, his facial expressions if we could only see Jesus. Ellen White wrote on one of these occasions that she was with a group there and she's writing a a friend about this. And she says, "'Yesterday, which was Sabbath, "'we had a sweet and glorious time. "'I had a deep plunge in the ocean of God's love.'" Isn't that an interesting way to say it? Deep plunge in the ocean of God's love. It seemed that the angels of God were hovering all around. The love of God was shed abroad in my heart. My whole being was ravished with the glory of God. Now this part is not vision. This is the type of thing that can happen with us too. Now if God gives visions, we'll accept them, but she's just getting to vision. Vision hasn't happened yet. You see, it's We can have an experience with God to where that's happening with us, with Jesus. And I pray that it's happening for you. You want to have support and strength and grace to go through? Be with Jesus. He he is there, His peace, His presence through the Spirit. So she says, The love of God was shed abroad in my heart. My whole being was ravished with the glory of God, and I was taken off in vision. I saw the exceeding loveliness and glory of Jesus. His countenance was brighter than the sun at noonday. His robes were whiter than the whitest white. How can I, dear sister, describe to you the glories of heaven, which she was seeing? Dear sister, is not heaven cheap enough? This passion for Jesus, this passion that Jesus has for us, that she experiences and that she then communicates. You know, this is the focus of the Word of God too, isn't it? The Bible. This is really the the anchor. I'm taken in my mind to 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, and a text you're familiar with. So we have the prophetic word made more sure so that you Do well to pay attention as to a light or lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And it goes on to say then that no prophecy of Scripture is given as a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by any an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But focus on that other part at the beginning there. The word, the prophetic word, shines into the dark place of our hearts. That's what it's talking about, right? And it keeps shining until something happens, until the morning star arises in our heart. Oh, I love this. I just have been dwelling in this text for the last couple years. I've preached on it three or four times. I just love it. You know, you look at uh, Revelation 22, 16, and... John identifies, Peter's writing this passage, but John identifies who the morning star is, right? Who's the morning star? It's Jesus. So the prophetic word, the Bible, brings Jesus to us. It keeps pressing Jesus to us until finally the morning star arises in our hearts. And this is Ellen White's prophetic work, too to bring us to Jesus, to press Jesus, to bring Jesus until the morning star arises in our hearts. What a precious thing. You know, you have prophetic special revelation, but then you have the illumination of His Spirit when God brings it to life for us. Oh, how precious it is. We don't have time for more. I need to stop. I know we have class, but I want to let Ellen White finish our message for us today. Again, the ending of one of her sermons. This was one of the sermons she spoke and shared at the 1888 General Conference session. You're all familiar, maybe many of you are familiar with that session, which was so convoluted, but yet so important in focusing on Jesus and His righteousness. And she preached these words, and she uses the very text that we had at our Scripture reading um, here to begin, 1 John 3, verse 1. She's ending her sermon, she says, We want to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then she looks up, I think, I don't know, but she says, I look over this congregation, and you look like discouraged men and women. I'm not sure I would say the same about you today. You're a mix. You're a mix, I think. She says, I see discouraged men and women. Now, where was I here? I'm sorry like men or women who have been fighting with the powers of darkness. But courage, brethren, there is hope. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man and woman that hath this hope in him or her purifieth himself herself, even as he is pure. And then she looks at them and she says these words. Oh, I love him, I love him, for he is my love. I see his matchless charms. And oh, how I want that we shall enter in through the gates into the city. Then shall every crown be taken off every head and cast at the feet of Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. He has purchased it for us. He has purchased it for you, and we shall acknowledge him Lord of all, and we shall cast all our honor at his feet and crown him Lord of all. We shall shout glory to God in the highest. I wish we would learn to praise him more. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth God. I wish you would walk, would talk of it, I wish you would educate your hearts and lips to praise Him, to talk of His power and His glory. I wish that you would tell of His power. When you do it, you will be elevating your Savior, and when you lift that standard up against the enemy, He will flee from you." And she finished her message with those words. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Praise the Lord for his love. Praise the Lord for the prophetic word. Now, Ellen White, on a couple of occasions, said that her favorite song was this Wesleyan hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul. And you just heard her say in this sermon, I, oh, how I love him. I love him. He is my love. So this intimacy of this song meant so much to her. And let's close with that as we finish our time together. Oh, Jesus, you are the lover of our soul. You are our Savior. You're our friend. You're everything. As we go from this chapel, may that be so real that it will stand as the anchor of our soul.
1: In Jesus' name we pray, amen.